And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hang on a minute. Who put you in charge? And who the hell are you anyway? I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey, the constellation of Castelberus. I'm 903 years old, and I'm the man who's going to save your lives and all six billion people on the planet below. You got a problem with that? No. In that case... Hello, Z! Would you like a jelly baby? Awesome, I fucked that up too. <laughs> Great, let's um, just go with it. Yes, so today we're going to be talking about a fun episode. I actually pulled this together, I'm so excited. I have brought in one of my favorite fellow podcasters from other shows. No offense, Sean, I love you too. Um, so today we have our fearless leader, Sean Ingle. Hello, everyone. And then from Legends of Gotham podcast, greetings from Storybook Brook podcast, and the writer of Dog Boy Dead of Thieves, Mr. Bill Meeks. How's it going? I hear, I hear you guys throw a pretty crazy party over here. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, check out the uh, the uh, the checks mix. It's awesome. I, I I can tell you. I mean, you can just tell kind of from the lo- noise level in the room in this podcast that uh, you know it's just a, a happening happening place. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and we made sure there's plenty of bananas on the tables to talk about. Excellent. So the reason I wanted to pull this episode together was because I wanted to go over another Matt Smith episode, and I wanted to go over one of my personal favorite Matt Smith episodes, which was Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. I love this episode. It's one of my favorites. But first and foremost, I just want to have Bill talk a little bit about it. What You want to give us a quick rundown of Greetings from Storybrooke and Legends of Gotham, and you actually are about to start, just started another one podcast recently, didn't you? 
Uh, yeah, we're going to be starting the the new one uh, soon. I'll, I'll talk about the old ones real quick first. Uh, they're, they're basic fan cast, you know, much like Who True Freaks, uh, but based around the shows uh, Once Upon a Time on ABC for Greetings from Storybrooke and Gotham for Legends of Gotham. Uh, we, we've been doing Greetings for about two and a half years now. Uh, uh, Legends of Gotham, we started about a year ago, but it's fun. We kind of dive in deep on the stories uh, every week and, you know, a lot of fun fan interaction too. Uh, the new one... Uh, which will be coming out soon, uh, is called Universe Box. And it's more of a, a general interest uh, podcast where we, we uh, go through all sorts. We have a lot of different stock segments or boxes that we kind of assemble together into an episode based around a particular theme. Like I'm trying to uh, – some the big broad themes like home and fears and things like that that we can kind of paint all these different segments around. And uh, there'll, there'll be some fan casting uh, going on too. There, there's this one segment called – the wonder box where we we go and uh we look at an old tv show or movie from when we were a kid and uh kind kind of uh analyze if it still holds up and if it still gives us the wonder that it gave us uh back when we first started but uh lots of fun that sounds amazing i haven't heard it is this your first time announcing it i know we we did uh we announced it on greetings a couple weeks a few weeks ago i think uh the last episode we did for the year and uh then then uh, we had a big planning s- session over on the youtube channel last thursday and the first episode will be coming out next thursday so gotcha this will be next thursday back in january because this who true freaks episode is not gonna be out till like probably early february fyi <laughs> okay so the first episode's out i hope it went well <laughs> <laughs> i should have told you that it, it was amazing i listened to it today it was wonderful i, I, I thought I, it was I, the, the best thing that wonder box thing it was like a wonder ball from the 90s without the tiny little toys inside that you can choke on I, what, what was your favorite part of the first segment where I did that little documentary about my trip to my home, old hometown? You. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, the, that, that sounds about right. That was the, my favorite part, too. The, uh, <laughs> the uh, background music, I thought it was scored wonderfully. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. Ex- I don't know. I, I love I, I love note to self to pick out the right background music <laughs> that Sean will like. And Bill Rickfast, just to give a little background of like what kind of Whovian you are, how did you get into uh, Doctor Who? Okay, well, the first time I remember watching Doctor Who, I was 19 years old over at my friend's place. We'd been drinking until about 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Everybody left. And uh, my friend Dave popped on an old Tom Baker episode of Doctor Who that uh, my friend Aaron Boner, A Boner, had, uh, <laughs> had on the shelf uh, on an old VHS tape. And he popped it in, and I fell right asleep. And I didn't watch Doctor Who again <laughs> until, uh, well, a, an ex-girlfriend of mine, uh, She, when she first started going to college, she got into it. But I was like, yeah, that's her thing. I'll let her have that. And then uh, a couple years later, uh, re- this was around the time of the reboot, I was, I, I think, putting together some shelves from Ikea, and I threw the sci-fi channel on uh, just as background noise. And uh, the, the first Cyberman two-parter with David Tennant was on, the one where they go to the alternate dimension and find Rose's... Uh, father alive and everything was on and i was just compelled and captivated and i watched the entire series probably in about three weeks <laughs> and then uh the the episodes with uh it, this was around uh when donna was coming on board as a companion so i got to pick those up like right away right as soon as i finished the last martha episode donna was starting up and, and from then on it's been an obsession so you're definitely more new who opposed to old who 
Yeah, I, I have gone back and filled in a lot of the gaps. I'm more on the comics, actually, than the show. Uh, but, it, like, I, if I had to pick an older Doctor as my favorite, I'd, I'd go Troughton. Definitely Troughton, because he's just bizarre and weird and fun. I love him. Awesome. Well, welcome to Hoosier Freaks. Thank you. I was taking a drink. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. So something I wanted to do instead of our normal summary uh, that we normally do, on Bill's shows, they do rhyming summaries, and they are super fun. They're some of my favorite parts of their shows. And so I asked Bill to graciously write us a rhyming summary for Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. So as much as I really want to read it, go ahead, Bill. Hey, you know what, Hope? I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you read it because Anne-Marie, my co-host on Greetings and Legends of Gotham, uh, she gen- I write the rhymes, she reads them. So I, I would feel weird reading this, actually. So why don't you go ahead and uh, step, step in the Anne-Marie seat and read the rhyming summary for us. Really? Yeah. Ah! Yeah. For realsies. I need to actually take, like, ten seconds to read this right fast. Sorry. I'm really Sorry. bad at reading out loud. That's fine. Me and Anne-Marie, this is usually the last thing we do before we go live, is she reads it through one time to see if I need to make any changes. All right, I'm going to read it once, and if it sounds good, I will not read it again. Okay, okay. The Doctor and Amy and Rory and Dad find an old spaceship that's looking real bad. Earth will destroy it without any compunction, unless the good doctor discovers its function. There's dinos aboard, but that's not so bizarre. Well, it is if you aren't soaring past all the stars. The first doctor plays batty, but Solomon's lame. Which is why he's excited by the good doctor's name. Genocide and theft are his only moves. He's far from death, as the doctor soon proves. Will the pawns journey on? Will Dad get a grip? We'll find out tonight in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship! Sean, that was so good. Keep it. <laughs> Done. You did fantastic, Hope. You don't understand, Sean. I was going to be on Bill's show, and I was like, I'm going to get to read the writing summary. And then Amory ended up being there, and I was super sad because I didn't get to read it. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I'm just glad that I don't have to write up a summary myself. So oh my God, good on cool. both of you. Yay! So <laughs> we, you guys... we did good work. <laughs> but yes. Uh, so, guys, what do you think of dinosaurs on a spaceship? Uh, we'll let the guest go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, yeah, I was going to let you go ahead because I've been talking so much, but okay. Uh, no, no, I really liked it. I really enjoyed the rewatch. Uh, it, it, it was a little weird because I kept, like, kind of, like, ha- seeing, like, half-remembered thing plot elements that I'd forgotten about. Like, a couple of that I mentioned, uh, like, in, in the main notes and everything. But overall, a lot of fun, and I was really impressed with how good all the special effects were. Considering, you know, it's television and dinosaurs, usually that doesn't turn out so well. And Doctor so, Who. <laughs> yeah, especially on Doctor Who. Uh, but no, a really, really good and uh, a very uh, com- kind of a sad in a way uh, once, once you realize uh, where Amy and Rory end up at the end of it, which I, I guess we can say they, they grow old and die in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Well, and it also it also plays in with uh, the addition of her father. I know we talked about this when we were talking about the... Uh, final wrap-up of Matt Smith's tenure, that they had that little extra thing at the end that was kind of... uh, It wasn't necessarily filmed, but they storyboarded it, and then someone did an animation of it where... uh, Arthur Darville actually voiced it over. Yeah, and they they basically had uh, Rory's son come and meet with uh, uh, the dad and talk with him. So it's nice that we got the seating of uh, Rory's father in this episode, and you know it played it, it played in well to the episode that the two characters, the two people of genetic matches, had to help 
save the ship or maneuver the ship around. I really enjoyed the show. It's it's a fun little show. Uh, yes, the special effects were pretty impressive, especially for Doctor Who of this era. They, I'm glad that they didn't go full CGI, that they had some uh, actually practical effects, because a lot of times that's what I like about especially the old Doctor Who shows. Even if they are cheap practical effects, I like seeing things that are actually there and that the Doctor and the companions can actually interact with um you know the family dynamic was fun and uh, you know there was some good comedy bits i like the uh especially like the uh, characters of the robots i thought i thought they were a sort of neat addition and yeah like they get a lot of crap but i actually re- i think the robots are super funny um i know like the actors that play them are from a tv show or a radio show but they always remind me of marvin from hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy a little bit i think i think that's definitely what at least stylistically they were kind of supposed to be modeled after and you know they're they're obviously their gunning or their shooting abilities were kind of uh like stormtroopers but worse well stormtroopers or <laughs> vogons if you want to take that from the hitchhiker's guide uh, movie um and i also i also kind of uh envision them sort of being like wheatley if you guys have ever played portal oh. 2 so you know, obviously, what Stephen Merchant had a kind of, that kind of quirky attitude that these two uh, these two characters did. So yeah, it was overall it was just a See, I, really I might fun be, show. I might be dating myself here here with this reference, but they kind of reminded me more of like Laurel and Hardy. I mean, I, I grew up in the '40s, so you know, <laughs> I'm probably a little older than you guys. But I uh, know the, the dynamic. Def- are you What's Captain that? America? I'm not. I'm uh, actually Vandal Savage. The immortal Vandal Savage. Go. I See, approve. Cro- go on. Crossing the streams. <laughs> but I, I, you guys mentioned the actors. I just wanted, and I, I saw um, Sean had some notes in here later about the actors. I, I just wanted to say that uh, Mitchell, David Mitchell, and Robert Webb—they're really good. They have uh, the Mitchell and Webb, that Mitchell and Webb look, which is sort of a sketch comedy show, which I don't like very much. They have another show that's kind of like a half-hour one-camera sitcom called Peep Show that's been going on for, I think, 10 years now. And it's amazing. It's it's a, it's a show about two characters who, who make every decision completely selfishly, like, for themselves. It's kind, of, it's kind of like Seinfeld, but with British humor instead of American humor. Hmm. So a little smarter, a little crueler. And, uh, but no, they're, they're really, really good. Actually, my only complaint about the robots in general is that we, we didn't get to see them actually interact with, like, Matt Smith or something. You know, it was obviously, like, voiceover dropped in after the fact. But I, I would love to sh- see them appear as a duo on Doctor Who sometime, like, as the, their actual selves versus just voiceover. Oh, I see what you're saying. So I was like, but they exploded. <laughs> I had a moment. It's okay. So they come I, back. Yeah, maybe it's like a, like a series of robots. Like it's like all the robots suck. <laughs> like a Matroska doll or whatever, where yeah. it's like more and more robots. You so, just peer, peel away the shells. But I I personally wanted to choose this episode because this is one of my personal favorite like sections of New Who. Um, pretty much from Asylum to Angels. Actually, from, like, Pond Life, to go back a little further. From Pond Life to Angels is, like, probably my favorite block of Doctor Who. Um, I said it in... It wasn't the Christmas episode. It was the episode before when we were talking about Fires of Pompeii. Um, when we were discussing Peter Capaldi, this was... I, I, I've been no stranger to how much I hate Clara. Um, <laughs> I freaking hate Clara. 
And so, like, the last half of Matt Smith's season is probably the far weakest to me. And then I, it wasn't until we got Capaldi that I felt like it was Doctor Who again. So I went through, like, just after this, a really dark time with Doctor Who. But before it, I had The Light, which was this half season. <laughs> I really love this section, and Dinosaurs on a Spaceship is probably my favorite out of this bunch. And that's why I, I really wanted to do this. And it's it's just a fun episode. And it has a lot of great guests. Um, a lot of people call this the fandom episode, because you have Rupert Graves, who's Lestrade from Sherlock, and then you have Mark Williams and David Bradley, who are Arthur Weasley and Mr. Filch from Harry Potter. Um, so there's just a lot of friendly faces. Though it should be noted that David Bradley also played William Hartnell and in an adventure in space and time for the 50th anniversary, which was fantastic. Yes. Yes, he I was did, I think it's, Go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, I think it says something that before an adventure in space and time, I thought of him as the guy from Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Then when I was watching this episode, I was calling him mentally the guy or the first doctor from the Adventures in Space and Time. So he, he did a fabulous job on that movie. Oh, Sean, we should do a, uh, an episode on an adventure in space and time, especially because, like, for me as a new Whovian, like, it's so much fun to see where our roots actually came from. Mm-hmm. And it's a good little kind of documentary drama, docudrama. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I'm wondering exactly how specifically correct it was. I'm certain a lot of the, you know, the difficulties that, oh, uh, the female lead writer for the show had to go through, you know, and dealing with all that was probably, was probably very specific to time, but uh, I'd be interested, uh, you know, how, how well they got their facts right in that. And yeah, like you said, David Bradley was great in that. So, uh, to see him be able to take on this character and then move on to play the Hartnell doctor and do such a great job of it, it, it's, it speaks well for him as an actor. So I, I liked it. Yeah. And, and it, I should also point out for Shag, because screw you, Shag, I love you, but screw you. Um, Shag is my arch nemesis, by the way, Bill. Uh, I have I an arch nemesis. Uh, we all Mark, have at least one. Yeah. Mark Williams also played Maxwell Edison in the audio drama The Eternal Summer. Thank you, Doctor Who Wikipedia. So it's good to see them come back, but I, I also feel like this is Matt Smith's strongest point in any of his seasons. Like, he is like this little half season and so that's why i really wanted to cover this one because it's it's a really this episode has a little bit of everything it's fun it has some really serious moments it also gets really dark and there's a lot of great laughs like i still find myself like cracking up when brian is like oh it's just my balls in my pocket and roy's smacking himself on the face <laughs> <laughs> oh man the tardis just flew over <laughs> that's 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 where we're going to that's where we're going to truncate silence right there. <laughs> so, so we truncate silence. Mm-hmm. I, one one thing I'd forgotten about in this episode was uh, the the decision the doctor makes at the end concerning Solomon. I I I know there was a lot of criticism about that uh, back when it happened because you know I I mean really the last time before that we saw a doctor floating in a spaceship above Earth was in uh, the episode with Wilf, uh, uh, End of Time, where he's like being, I can't use a gun, and all these sorts of things, where he he has sort of like this kind of, the David Tennant Doctor had this high moral ground that he always tried to stick to, kind of like a, a superhero, like a Batman or a Superman or something. No killing, no, you know, I, I, you saw that uh, fade a couple times, like Family of Blood and stuff, but for the most part, that was David Tennant's Doctor. And this was a moment uh, with Matt uh, Smith's doctor where I think people were realizing, 
wait a second, this guy doesn't always do the right, right thing. You know, sometimes he does the, the thing that is just, but might not necessarily be right morally. And I, I, I know a lot of people uh, were complaining about that. And I think it's interesting that even with all the complaints, because, you know, I remember them very clearly. So there had to have been a lot of them that uh, Moffat would go ahead and in season eight, lean into the whole am i a good man theme uh that he that was so focused on in in series eight and everything like you know considering how visceral the fans reaction was to matt smith's actions here you know basically uh killing solomon i i just thought that was interesting that uh eventually moffat leaned in a little bit more on that and got a lot of good stories out of it and kind of came to a conclusion on it too which i thought was nice for me, like, because I, I was reading a lot of the criticism of that, too. I I talked about this a little bit later in my notes, but uh, the whole... There seems to be, like, a reverse chronology going on, um, where as Amy and Rory are moving forward, the Doctor seems to be moving backwards. Um, and it's a theory that came out of the fandom, um, especially since, like, I'll, hell, I'll just talk about it right now, <laughs> since I'm already talking about this thing. So, in this little half-season, there's this idea... Uh, reverse chronology going on with the Doctor, where as we progress throughout the season, Amy and Rory seem to be going forward, but the Doctor seems like his very first episode time-wise is Angels in Manhattan. And so after he loses Amy and Rory, he's going backwards to visit points in their life because he can't visit them anymore in the present. And where that plays into this, it almost feels like when he kills Solomon, that he he has a motive to try and save Amy and Rory sooner than angels. But that's just me. No, I, and I remember that, that uh, being floated around and seem, seeming like a very reasonable theory back during the run of the series. Like, I, I, I just, it feels like it would have been confirmed or not confirmed somewhere along the way by this point, because, I mean, they've kind of moved on from these storylines. But something else that kind of keyed me on to that is that, you, you know, it just... Uh, in uh, Asylum of the Daleks, you know, Amy and Rory were really heading full force into a divorce. And uh, I mean, they, they, they did kind of ha have a couple of moments in that episode, but uh, every other episode in the series seems like they're fine after that. You know, you know, it, where they were just completely cold to each other and like weren't lo looking at each other or anything in, in uh Asylum of the Daleks. So, it, it, like, I, I still think it, it could very potentially be that case that, you know, that it's a reverse timeline and everything. But I don't think we'll ever get any solid confirmation one way or the other. And also, uh, when are they going to go back and look at themselves before they go in and deal with the gangers? Do you guys remember that when past Rory waved at uh, present day Rory and Amy from mm -hmm. across the way? Oh, yeah. That never got addressed either. So many, so many drop plots, Moffat. Come on now. Yeah. But, I mean, it does come up in a way, again, because, like, for example, in this episode, she says that she, Amy says that she's a queen, and in the Power of Three, we find out she actually is a queen because she accidentally married King Henry VIII. And, Very true. And to bring up, uh, to kind of jump to a town called Mercy, um, we find out that Rory lost his phone charger in King Henry VIII's uh, room, and then the next episode in Power of Three, he actually, if you look, his phone charger is under the bed with him. So, like, there still seems to be, like, this idea of things are moving forward for them. Because um, if you actually, if you look at Matt Smith and Angels, and then kind of, it sounds weird, but watch the season going backwards, he gets progressively 
more and more protective and more lighter the further they go back too. Like, um, he's like, okay, they're fine in Power Three. Going back further, I mean, he his attitude changes if you watch it backward as well. And he seems to know that this is coming. Like he knows that they're going to be leaving. Like we have that end scene in this one where he's just looking at Amy and Rory from behind with this like sense of dread. It's like he knows that he's going to lose them. But at this point, we as long as you avoid spoilers, you didn't know. Hmm. See, it, it, he's such a hard character to kind of read that sort of subtext on to the Doctor just because he's always running games on people, so you can never really tell for sure if uh, he's he knows more than he's telling or he's already found out their future or whatnot. But like I said, you know, a really compelling theory. I, I, I hope it's true. And I, I think it would be interesting if they came back and explored that sometime. Like, maybe... I, I think they could probably even get like a one last adventure with Rory and Amy out of that some somehow, you know. Yeah, because now the thing this is way off topic, but with Angels in Manhattan with them being time locked in the four twenties, forties, well, whatever, being time locked, is mm-hmm. there other time periods time locked? Like, you know like anything if he wanted to go back and visit them in this season as Capaldi. Like would they be time locked in these timelines or uh, I guess he wouldn't ru- want to run the risk of overcrossing his own streams. Yeah. Well, I think that that episode in particular, uh, the the letter uh, that that Amy wrote him, kind of sealed it in and made it a locked time because she mentions that they never see the Doctor again, not not just the Matt Smith Doctor, but the Doctor. So it's kind of like the book and how he didn't want them to read the book because if they read if they kept reading in the book, then that that timeline was going to be set in stone. Mm-hmm. So uh, when he read the letter, he ma- he ensured that he would never be able to go back to see them. That's like, so... after they got transported that's... back to the past. That's interesting, though, because they always have this idea of, like, time can be rewritten. and But the moment that time is actually physically written, you can't do anything about it. <laughs> but we've seen that, like, written text can be rewritten as well. And, you know, we we haven't seen the Dementors from Father's Day in Season 1 come back either mm, whenever <laughs> there's going to be any uh, danger or anything. Yeah, I, I I specifically think that it's you've it's, sometimes you just gotta take it as it's it's a television show and it's however the writers want to take it, you know which whichever writer is there ready to write a story, provided it's an interesting and entertaining story, they can they could rewrite that. The Doctor could go back and deal with uh, Rory and Amy back in the forties. You know Capaldi could go do that if he if they want to do that, and they could find a real reason for it. Yes, it'll be nitpicking fans like us who'll be going, "Oh well, no, you said it was a fixed point in time; they couldn't do that." But if it's an enjoying, if it's an enjoyable story, why not allow it to happen? You know, that's 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 what I would, I would rather see shows that are entertaining and compelling and enjoyable to watch, rather than ones that have to be so rigidly conformed to a certain continuity and have to, you know, oh, well, 30 years ago in the, uh, in the, uh, Patrick Trotton era or in the, uh, in the, in the John Pertwee era, he said that he couldn't do this, but now they're doing it. If it's a good story, let it be a good story and let, let things play out for it. That's, it's such a fine line because it's not like Doctor Who, it's been on for 50 years, 50 plus years. And so like trying to write to conform 
the continuity is now so hard because I mean I've had this complaint about um, Matt Smith uh, because like David Tennant was like the king of pop culture references like he could always speak about like any pop culture references and then we got to the lodger and Matt Smith didn't know like anything about pop culture and I'm sitting here going well you knew that like what two three years ago but you don't know that now so I've, I've always had an issue with that and it's hard with Doctor Who because it's so big but then you have like other shows who do continuity so well and that but they haven't been on as long so I guess it's easier um, well, I think it's probably it probably breaks down uh, to the process a lot too right because uh, the thing about Doctor Who is it's not written you know like your standard American show where there's a writer's room and everyone comes together uh, beats out the storylines and then goes off and writes their scripts and comes back and rewrites everybody's work. It, it's done where basically Moffat just call, calls up people he likes or uh, people who, who are popular approach him or whatever, and he just gives out a he he listens to a pitch and uh, they take the assignment and run with it. And he's like, oh, and you also have to make sure at some point uh, the doctor gets a phone call on the box uh, from a girl in a shop or something. Uh, but as long as that's in the script, it's going to fit in with what we're doing with the season finale, which I care about. And then the, the writer just goes off and writes a fun episode, and hopefully it works out, and hopefully they don't get called out like a billion, billion times. Like uh, Grant Morrison, uh, who, who had a pretty long run on Batman a few years back, uh, it, when he was talking about, you know, working with... That a kind of character like that with a long tail or a long history or that's gone through multiple incarnations and everything, he w he was like, the best thing you can do is acknowledge the history, don't rely on the history to tell your story, and throw two or three little nuggets in there that some writer who approaches the character next can pick up and run with if they want to. Exactly. And it, yeah, so I, I, I think if you can do that, then you're probably doing pretty good as far as, you know, uh, uh, such a... A uh, character with such a uh, uh, trail behind is the Doctor. Oh, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of not really limited the uh, new edition of Doctor Who, but it's kind of well, maybe hindered it a bit. It is is the feel that modern storytelling has to have an overarching season long or even multi season long uh, storyline that you have to see bits and pieces here and there. It's it's just one of those tropes of modern television. If you look back at Aside from, like, uh, one of my things, the Key to Time episodes of Doctor Who during the Tom Baker years, the shows really had no continuity from one episode to the next. I mean, you might see in one episode of the Trotton era, you know, he gets out of the TARDIS in the next episode, it, you know, or he, he leaves in the TARDIS in the next episode, it kind of follows in that. But there's no specific through line. It was all just, as so long as you make interesting episodes with compelling stories, then that's all you really need. Which do you guys prefer? Do you guys prefer, like, that kind of format where it's, like, kind of, like, fun episode of the week where they don't have overarching stories? Or do you guys prefer uh, overarching stories? I, I As a... Uh, as, as just just a pure watcher... Um, actually, you know what? Both. As, as a pure watcher and as someone who does, like, fan cast and stuff, I, I do tend to prefer the overarching stories as long as they... They make sense and they aren't too big, big, just because I, I like kind of guessing where they're going with it sort of thing, which when you have like isolated one-off episodes all the time, you can't really do that too much because you can talk about the episode, but you can't talk about what, about what that episode says about where the character's going or something. But at the same time, you know, end of the workday, I'm, I'm just sitting down to chill out. 
you know, I'll, I'll throw on an old 80s sitcom or, you know, something like that that is very self-contained and, and enjoy it just as much. But, you know, if it's something that I, I think I'm going to be engaging with other people on, I prefer there to be more to talk about than just what we saw, you know, like, more that to imagine. Was fun. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah, okay. I, I, w- I would have to say it's predicated on what kind of what kind of uh, story it's going to be or what kind of show it's going to be. There are specific shows that lend themselves more to having individualized shows. I mean, you, you point out comedies and all that, and yes, those those can be specific one-off episodes. Uh, if there are shows, and I, I, I can't speak specifically to Lost, but that is a show that they said was supposed to have a specific endpoint, so they knew what they could write, and they could write for that, and see things going along to progress the characters and progress the show. If they have a show where they know that they're going to have a specific ending point, then I think it's perfectly fine to have these lo- these shows that do have a sort of overarching story arc. If you know, like, Doctor Who is going to try and run for as long as humanly possible, I think it's not as necessary to have that for the show. I think you could have more one-off episodes where you just have the Doctor go to someplace fun and do something zany and crazy that really doesn't have any, uh, you know, reference to Missy or, you know, whatever version of heaven she's supposed to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. For me, it just depends on how it's done. It also depends on the show. Um, sometimes I don't even think it needs to be wrapped up in a season. Um, I would, God, I'm going to sound like such a girl. Uh, I remember watching Teen Wolf. <laughs> sound like such a girl. Um, and oh, the old Michael J. Fox comedy. I love that movie. No, yeah, no, no, no. I know it's a show. No, no, it's it's actually an incredibly good show. Um, after you get past the atrocious first six episodes, but once the plot kicks in, it's fantastic. Um, I I will argue, Bill, that it hand- handles minor characters and continuity way better than whatever the hell once is doing right now. <laughs> a minor character actually comes up with the idea and defeats the bad guy. Nice. That will never do that in once. Um, but the thing is, is like I remember at the end of season two, I think it was two B, if I remember correctly. Um, there were a lot of open ended questions that were never answered and never touched. And people were like, they they were open ended. People like vanished from the show, and fans got really upset. But the thing is, is that then you had all of I think season three it was, or towards the end of three B. I just said three B. Toward going into season four. Like, these people started popping up again, and these open-ended things from the end of Season 2 and the beginning of Season 3 that were supposedly plot holes, like, fans were calling them huge, gazing plot holes, were all tied up two seasons later. And I like when shows do that. Like, it doesn't have to be addressed and contained in one season. If you're going to build this overarching story, have it stretch well into, like, Season 2, Season 3, Season 4, 5, 6, 7. And that was good planning on Teen Wolf's part because they knew that they wouldn't be able to fit everything in the production of that time in that time frame of season two. And that's why they built and introduced all this new stuff in season three, and it all came together in a very awesome season four. And I like when shows do that, and I kind of wish Doctor Who would do that more. And they that's what I like so much about this season, is because they introduced the crack in Amy's Wall, first episode of Matt Smith's season. It wasn't, what, finished until like two, three seasons later? Well, mm. really, they didn't finish with the whole crack thing until what time of the doctor? Right? Yeah, until they yeah, basically said it was, it was the, the dealing with the you know, the resurgence of Gallifrey. So yeah, yeah. And so I really like when shows do that. So I personally don't think that you need full contained stuff in one season, and that's why I have a complaint about a lot of TV shows, and why I reward other TV shows. Like when I was saying 
that when it comes to continuity, holy crap, no show does continuity better, and this is going to sound so kiddish, but Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls is one of the best examples of continuity on television right now, and it's a kid's show. It's a, it's a children's show. And I remember Alex Hirsch talking about, like, if they introduce something in the show, it's law. If Mabel gets a pet pig, she's going to have a pet pig for the rest of the series. And they're bringing back, like, little nuggets that they introduced in, like, episode two, three, four, now a season and a half later, that are playing huge roles in the show. And what's fun about Gravity Falls is they hide Easter eggs in in the form of... um, What's it called? Um, like Luminati. Oh, what's it called? It's like codes, codes. Haha. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> I have not had a lot of sleep lately. Um, they hide like little codes in like early episodes that are just now coming into play now. And half the fun of Gravity Falls is the mythos wrapped up. Like they were leading up to the big villain Bill Cipher, but they dropped codes and hidden messages, and you found out that. Bill says, I've been watching you, and if you go back and watch every episode previously, he's hidden throughout the entire series. And I like when (laughs) shows do that, and I feel like Doctor Who hasn't done that recently. (laughs) Yes, there's a... You know, there's a bit of a difference when doing stuff like that, too, between animated and live action shows, because, you know, in an animated series, especially for a company as big as Disney, they'll generally get an episode soda order of two to three seasons if they get picked up at all so you know you have that lead time and you also don't have physical actors you have to get in the same on the same set to shoot every day you know you get you hit you have a basic basically two years two and a half years to get all these actors in to record you know the 36 or 40 scripts or whatever so it's easier to layer stuff like that in because you can write out the entire series before you animate one frame of the of the of the series you know uh but with a live action show like this it's a churn you know where you get picked up for eight episodes or ten episodes hopefully get the rest rest of the order and you just have to start churning out scripts and churning out uh product and i mean if you can't get the like you know in this episode for example uh with, with uh his dad being introduced and everything and that was supposed to pay off at the end of angels uh uh angels take manhattan and whether that was because the actor wasn't available or they couldn't get the house back to shoot the scene or whatever, they or they forgot about it when they were there shooting other stuff. Uh, you know, it just wasn't possible to kind of tie it around, tie it back around and stuff like that. So, you know, just a little bit of a difference, but still a very challenging thing to do. One, I'm very glad that these days, I, when, when they are doing that, and even when they do have to make sort of fine adjustments as they're producing episodes and everything, now they can actually hear what the fans are thinking about it and hear the things that the fans thought were plot holes and they can address them or patch them if they need to, which is nice. So, I mean, of course, there's still lead time on a live action show. But, uh, you know, if uh, some if they have a season finale and somebody's like, I hate that character, they can, they can I don't know, kill that character off in the fall, fall premiere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also want to talk a little bit about the gang in this. Like, this was a fun little game. Like, what do you guys think about how these extra characters sort of fit in to this episode? Like, as much as I love Rupert Graves, and he's the British Silver Fox, and he's gorgeous, and I love him, and he's adorable, like, I wish he did more, because all he didn't actually give much to the plot for me, and I hated that about it, because I love Rupert Graves. I want to hug him, and run my hands through his hair, and, <laughs> and like, pet him, and then let him go into the wild. Um... <laughs> 
Sorry. As do we all. This is yeah. this is getting awkward. <laughs> <laughs> awkward. But I wanted more from uh, Liddell's character, but and I feel like Nefertiti was there kind of only as a plot hole, but I feel like other people shined. Like, I feel like this is one of Rory's better episodes. So, like, what did you guys feel about the gang situation in this? Did we, did we need that many people? Could we have done with less, more? Well, like I said, like I said in the notes, I kind of like the characters of Liddell and Nefertiti. I like the fact that there's more than just the two companions, or sometimes just the one companion with the Doctor. And I think these characters would be perfect for some big finish audio presentations. I know they've gone back, and one of my favorite episodes from the uh, original series, the old series of Doctor Who, is the talents of Wang Chiang. And there are two characters in that, uh... Uh, Jago and Lightfoot that uh, Big Finish has done a lot of work with and and, and the audio drama thing they've done like uh, you know seasons worth of episodes with them so I think these characters you know even though they were kind of limited in the show they're interesting enough that if they wanted to spin them off and do something with them with Big Finish or something like that I think they would be perfect for that but yeah I do I will admit they, they were kind of just Nefertiti was just there to be you know the captive so, uh, you know, uh, David Bradley could, you know, hold her over the doctor. And Lydell was just there to be, you know, the shooty guy who took down the dinosaurs. But it still gave Amy one of the best line, which was, I'm worth two men. You can come along, too. It's still, like, one of the best lines Amy Pond has ever said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was kind of the doctor for getting a whole bunch of people together and going off to fight a big threat. Like, I... I well, I guess there was Journey's End, but I don't remember David Tennant doing that very much. Like it, like just going around time and picking up a bunch of people. But no, it it, it was fun. It was a it was a good dynamic, uh, for sure. I actually I thought it was kind of weird because it seemed like kind of Matt Smith and uh, what Nefertiti, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that the, they sort of had like like a romantic thing going on at the beginning, and then at the end he's just happy to let her go off and uh, hunt in the wild with uh, Lestat. Lestat? <laughs> or, uh, not Lestat, uh, Lestrat. Vampires! Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, because Doctor... I'm actually currently reading Prince Lestat, like Anne Rice's new book, so... <laughs> oh, I heard about that. Is it any good? It is so good. It is really? It is probably the best one in the series. It's It's a really great book. I've really been enjoying it. I just got to the point where, like, shit literally hit the fan, and, like, people <laughs> are dying. <laughs> nice. my, my favorite uh, vampire chronicle up to this point is Pandora. I really like Pandora, just because of the big time scale. Right. Uh, but I, something I... You know, speaking of the group and companions and all that kind of stuff, I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, the conversations that uh, the doctor was having with Amy and uh, all the stuff. Like, it, it felt like, yeah, the doctor hadn't been around for a while, but they were doing okay without him. And it was kind of like an old school pal coming coming over for, you know, uh, a dinner or something at your house. And it's like, yeah, it, great to see you oh man i've missed you so much let's catch up let's catch up let's have the adventure let's run through the corridors it's getting to be about 11 30 doctor don't you think maybe maybe just trot off for a few weeks you can come back later that's fine we, we can have another visit but we've kind of stretched it out here they they're they're happy to see them and they embrace the adventure but in the end i i think they feel like it's not like it was anymore you know it's all been done they've had the great adventure and now they're getting more domestic and 
all the all the space stuff is behind him now. I it, it's kind of almost like they they finally that little girl that he found in the garden has finally grown up and doesn't need her raggedy old doctor anymore. And I thought it was interesting that uh that the dad embraced the adventure so much because he's come to a place in his life he's he's like on the opposite end of the spectrum from Amy and Rory here where he's he's had all the adventure he's settled down he's he's lived the very domestic uh, I'm the father of Rory whatever that is life and now uh, the second uh, peak of adventure or an adventure peeks through his window he's all about it and by the end of the episode he's out all over the world which I thought was a really interesting counterpoint to the way things kind of ended up with Amy and Rory telling the doctor, Hey, you can, you can go off for a little bit. Come back later. Yeah. Oh God. Brian was so good. <laughs> I love Brian. <laughs> Him and Wilfred Mott need to be like best friends. I, I still want Wilf to be the new companion. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bernard. I, mm, I, I will cry as much as I did for, for Elizabeth Slayton when he actually passes. Man, but yeah, I I personally liked the gang format. Um, I but I, I as much as I do love Amy, I have to like keep going back to Rory. And for me, this was probably one of his top episodes. I I've been no stranger to say that I like male companions usually over female companions, and Rory is one of my top favorites uh, of all time. And I feel like this was a really good episode for him because not only get does he constantly stand up to the doctor, you can see that the doctor has a lot of trust in him. Like, one of my favorite moments is when the doctor hands back Roy's phone and he's just like, be ready. And Roy knows exactly what that means. He's like, <laughs> yes. And he doesn't even say anything. He just kind of nods and he's ready. And he also gets shows off his medical skills to his dad. And I kind of, you know, nursing is considered more of a female practice and everything. But I feel like Rory really comes into his own in this one. And I always think of, like, Amy and the Doctor are always the ones that, like, charge headfirst in the danger. But Rory was always their ground. And he was always the sensible and logical one to rear them back and to be the first one to really go, I don't think that's a great idea. Reconsider it. And the Doctor's like, oh, yes, we should. Yes, we should. So this is, like, just in the gang setting, I think that actually... Rory was the MVP of the gang in this episode because actually Amy doesn't really do much this episode. It was, most of it was uh, Rory helping the Doctor, which is rare in the Matt Smith Pons season. Well, I think that's because you know the Doctor was paired up more with Rory than he was with Amy. Amy was pretty much away from the Doctor for the most of the episode. It you know it it, it allowed you know because it was the doctor physically interacting with Rory much more, he had a chance to shine and show what a good companion he was. Most of the time, it's the doctor and Amy going out and doing things, and Rory is there as sort of the support character. So this time, the roles were kind of reversed, and it was Amy trying to have to be the sort of support character during the show. Well, I, I've always kind of considered Rory, even even if he doesn't get as much of an opportunity as Amy, the more capable companion, just because of... I mean, he... When she got kidnapped, he rolled onto like a Cyberman ship and like stared down those Cybermen. You know, I don't, I can't see Amy doing something like that. Like, I think, I think Amy, Amy comes at it from a pure place, uh, probably because of the whole childlike origins of her in uh, relationship with the Doctor. But Rory, Rory has always been the much more capable companion, which it ha- has its own weaknesses too, right? Because uh, you know, sometimes he he he's looking at that goal and he's missing the. Uh, the Cyberman coming up his right side. 
but I, I, I also, I, I really enjoyed that scene with him and his dad to where he was like uh, treating his dad's wound because it kind of felt like the payoff from a conversation we never saw between them where Rory was trying to justify going to nursing school to his dad or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it just, that, that look of pride on his dad's face and that kind of like smile like, see, I told you, prick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do agree. The, the idea of, you know, it, it is a very antiquated idea that, you know, nursing is primarily a female job. And that I, I I think that they're trying to present, you know, Brian as kind of one of those antiquated type characters who would feel that way. And this is just a good way that Rory can show him up and, you know, show him up in a way that actually benefits him as well. So, yeah, that's that worked. Yeah, I, I just feel like Rory is constantly... I, I always hated that he never got his moment in Matt Smith's final episode, and I know that the Doctor and Amy had the much closer relationship, but I, I always hated just how much underrated Rory is. Because, I mean, he waited 2,000 years for Amy. That's that's a huge thing. He's a vampire. Let's <laughs> <laughs> bring back our vampires. I mean, like, that's he, he has so much dedication, and he puts up with a lot from the Doctor. And he's... I, I, I always love the episode Amy's Choice when he actually realizes, yes, like, he will always be, while, like, the, the Doctor and Amy are friends, he will always be, like, that slight level above the Doctor in other ways. And having the Doctor's friendship, I think, in this, especially as it shows in this episode, reach a point where they're equals but in different ways to Amy. And I, I always, I like that at this point in the season, they reach that, and... I see that now, like, in this, like, little half-season block that I love so much, is that they are equals, but in completely different ways. Definitely. I, 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 uh... I, I think uh, the Doctor has a lot of respect for Rory, too, especially after the whole uh, waiting thing, too, because, I mean, yeah, they, now they've both lived uh, thousands of years. I I think, if anything, maybe the Doctor's just a little, uh still wary of him because he, he Rory had to live those thousands of years all in a row where the doctor got to skip around a little bit mm-hmm. so I don't have anything else other than a few quick notes I just wanted to spout out right fast you guys no go ahead yes Bill? I, I I did note that the doctor was Sagittarius, probably. But besides I, that, nothing. No, I actually I did research on that. A Sagittarius is the November month, and the first episode of Doctor Who was November twenty third. Totally makes sense then. There nice. you go. He, he, I I was I read that last night and I was like, whoa, mind blown. <laughs> so yay, good job, guys. <laughs> um, so I just like just some quick notes that I jotted down from the episode. Uh, it's always fun in this half season that all the titles were designed to fit with whatever theme. So, like, Dinosaurs in a Spaceship had, like, uh, Dinosaur Hide, and I really liked that about this half-season. We didn't talk about the last of Tricy. Yeah, the Triceratops, you know, I I mentioned that it was kind of disappointing that... Not that I was disappointed with the practical effects, because for what they were, the practical effects were pretty good, but the Triceratops... I read that it was, like, guys, when they were actually riding it, it was just guys pushing them around. That, that's that's not too surprising because we've seen you know obviously what uh, almost a decade prior to this we saw Jurassic Park and the Triceratops and that and I, I I couldn't see why they couldn't you know get with Stan Winston Studios and maybe get a model of that but I'm certain you know with what they did it was really good so I I didn't have any problem with that but yeah the the death of the Triceratops from the laser wielding robots was kind of dis- was it was sad I was reading oh go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it was sad, but, like, it didn't... 
it didn't feel as impactful to me as I think it was supposed to, just because, like, the, the reason the Doctor's so concerned about saving this dinosaur is because it's a rare creature, but at the, at the same time, this, this creature's supposed to be extinct. If the Doctor wanted to provide humanity one to study, he could go back and grab one. So, it just, like, and I mean... I, obviously, it, it was a, the whole innocent creature kind of beast below thing going on there too. I think, but it just a uh, it didn't hit me as emotionally as it seemed like it was supposed to. Uh, but I, I might just have no heart. I, I think it was done better in Vincent and the Doctor when like the chicken monster thing died because in that case it was uh, like when the Doctor actually stopped and listened. Like wasn't it like lost and confused and it was also like the last of its kind or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and so I feel like that was more of a connection to the Doctor, and I, I feel like it was done better in that episode. Yeah, it, it might it might just be a situation where, you know, we, we know uh, dinosaurs are basically animals, so you don't uh, imagine those higher cognitive functions, so it's harder. It maybe it might be harder to feel like an emotional connection to a little bit. But, but I also They're read... scary. It is. I also read that, like, for writing the Triceratops, Matt Smith had to wear, like, extra padding for his pants. But he said <laughs> it was the most painful but most fun few hours of filming that he ever had. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love Matt Smith. Um, I love Liddell and Nefertiti. They're the ship that made it that made it on a dinosaur arc. Um, badass Amy and Liddell taking out dinosaurs. Uh, as I mentioned, Brian Pond and Wilford Mott need to be best friends. I would love to see some audio dramas with them. <laughs> um, a reminder that the Doctor can be dark and kill people. And with the TARDIS gone and the translation gizmo gone, how do Nefertiti and Liddell talk to each other? But I don't think they were doing much talk- talking anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that that is true. I wonder if the Doctor maybe slipped him a, a Babelfish or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there's just something that if you've been within the TARDIS and you've had, you know, tar- maybe it's residual TARDIS energy that allows them to do that. Who knows? And then I need Brian Pond's Adventures with the Doctor ASAP. <laughs> and one of the themes, if you ever go back and watch um, in this block of episodes, like this little half season, starting with Pond Life all the way to Angels, look out for anything that has to do with electricity and light bulbs. And every episode leading up to Angels, there is some form of electricity failing or light bulbs flickering. And there's also a mention of Christmas in every episode. And a lot of fans during that time period thought the light bulbs, of course, were leading to angels in Manhattan uh, because that's how angels move and get through places and stuff. And then the Christmas was leading up to the Christmas special when we got Clara back because the Christmas mentions didn't actually start in Pond Life. They started in Asylum. And so those were two huge themes when these episodes were premiering that a lot of fans were keeping an eye out for. And it ended up happening in every single episode in this block leading up to Asylum and the Christmas special. Hmm. Yeah, I remember. I remember in, in online discussions about these episodes, that was a big deal all the way up until the la- until Angels, and then nobody cared anymore. <laughs> they were like, "We don't care about uh, following up on the payoff of this or anything. We're, we're just uh, concerned because we're crying right now because our two favorite companions are gone." Oh, thank God, they're my two favorite companions. Uh, like uh, under Donna, they're my two favorite companions. <laughs> Don- Donna's my favorite too. Although, and you're probably going to hate me for this, Hope, but I'm actually, I, I'm coming over to Team Clara after this season. Like, I I, I think she's going to be my second. You mean Donna. her most selfish, lying season where she was totally okay endangering her students several multiple times? Well, this entire season, 
you know, season eight was pretty much about lying. Everyone throughout the entire season line was lying. So she I'm does not the, deserve Danny Pink. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> see, this is where we're going to. This is where we're going to break. Where I'm going to break ranks is that I was never all that impressed with Danny Pink. As as much as you were down on Clara, I was kind of down on Danny Pink. But that's just me. So, Danny Pink is a beautiful, perfect individual who is flawed and needed to travel with the Doctor to expand his character more, and he never got that chance. Clara is a selfish little... <laughs> I'm trying not to say bad words. Is a selfish woman who lied her way into love, abused that love, lost her love, lied to the Doctor to try to get her love back, and was completely justified in losing it, and she totally got deserved everything she's got, and now she's being rewarded again? To travel well, with a doctor after doing everything? What but the after, hell? After, after a that. punishment, after a, pu- a big punishment, she she lost the love of her life and stuff. Like, that's that's pretty big. The only that's person who got punished punish. and all that was Danny Pink. True. Very true. And, 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 she, I, just, and she did I, get I crabs, just, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> And I was going to say, just for the record, i big fan of the Danny Pink character and how he worked within the story. Not a big fan of the actor. Mm. <laughs> I, I didn't think he did a very good job. He's so cute. I, I just, I've been in that situation where I'm on a date and I say something wrong and the date walks off and I just stick my head on the table. I've been in that situation. Like I, <laughs> He's my spirit animal. I feel him. him. Like I, I just felt like he came off as a little too dopey for a soldier, you know? Just a little bit. But I, I, that's why I wish they would develop him more and like and he actually have him travel more with the doctor. Though I'm wondering if they're going to bring back like that future version of him, like their like descendant. I'm wondering if that's something that they're going to be playing now that Jenna Coleman is not leaving. I'm wondering if they're bring, going to bring that back in. I, I heard an interesting theory the other day. What if what if he knocks somebody else up before they got together? <gasps> and like that's who Awesome Pink was. That would be awesome. And pink. Yes. Because awesome I was about to say something very inappropriate. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I can I can always add the explicit tag if we need to. No, I don't right. think I've actually sworn that much in this episode. No, I'm so that's proud of myself. Very good. I know. I, think I had one. Sorry, guys. Oh, it's okay. This is two true breach well, network. Like well, I said, well, when hope when hope did it, I thought it was okay. Oh yeah, ah. no, it's it's perfectly fine. You know, uh, you know, if Shag were on here, there'd be plenty of expletives. Especially us towards Shag. But oh, you you should meet Shag. He's fun. But I, that's it. I don't have anything else for dinosaurs on a spaceship. Do you guys? I'm good. No, same period. It was an enjoyable. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad you picked this one out, Hope, and I'm glad that you actually sort of took lead on this. It gave me a chance to sort of you know, just watch the show and enjoy it instead of having to you know find out all the information and crap about it. So cool. Cool. Well, how about this? How about everyone spout off all their favorite websites, as in your own? <laughs> and I was going to say Google.com. <laughs> Tumblr. Um, Pornhub. Oh, oh, oh sorry. No, that's... There we go. <laughs> well, if we're going to go there, pink. Actually, no, I don't feel like doing that. So, Bill, where can people find you? Uh, not anything pink. Um, I, I, on Twitter, I'm Apple Meeks. <laughs> Uh, you can you can find the books I write at dogboyadventures.com, and you can uh, – well, soon you'll be able to follow all of the podcasts I do at universebox.com, but for now you can go to greetingsfromstorybrook.com or legendsofgotham.com, and there's contact info for those podcasts 
on those sites. And Dog Boy is a fantastic series of young adult novels. It's about Bronson and his parents died and he turns into a superhero. They're fantastic. Thank you, Hope. You're very welcome. You can also I kind of hate them. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> you can also go to uh, your YouTube, um, Meeks Mix Media, and for Legends of Gotham and Gradings from Storybrooks, you guys do live video podcasts. And if, yeah, if you I... miss the live shows, you can actually watch them on YouTube, and they're fantastic, especially the commentaries. I will actually say, and this link works now, because I'm still working with uh, YouTube to get the, the username changed over to UniverseBox for that YouTube channel, but you can go to youtube.universebox.com for all the, all the YouTube content. And the live, I, I try to go to the greeting from Storybrooke one. The only reason I don't do Gotham, because I usually work Tuesday nights when you guys film, but it's a really fun. Like, you can go and chat with Bill and Anne Marie, and it's a great group of people, and I, I have a blast. It's, like, my favorite thing to do on Monday nights, so I highly recommend if you ever want to listen to Legends of Gotham or Greetings from Storybrooke to also try to catch the live shows and watch it on Google+. There might even be prizes. What? There aren't any prizes. There aren't. There, there aren't. And you can maybe get a cool shirt possibly or autographed bananas what oh sean we need to do some autographed bananas they're not gonna is, make it in the mail is that is that a is that a euphemism for something should i be concerned do i have to add the explicit tag again no that, that is not a euphemism you should be concerned though all right well then then done and done nice <laughs> Sean, when can, where can people find you? Um, I work pretty much over at the Two True Freaks website. I've got my own show about Green Lanterns, specifically my two favorite Green Lanterns, Kyle Rayner and Guy Gardner. It's a show called Just One of the Guys. Uh, we're probably by the time this comes out, we're going to be hitting episode 150. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm winding down with the uh, coverage of this uh, third uh, well this third iteration of the Green Lantern comics. Uh, I also do a show called uh, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror with uh, Chris Honeywell, uh, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler, and Luke Jacknetti, and we're working our way through uh, horror movies of all different kinds. Specifically, right now we're covering the Friday the Thirteenth movies and the Phantasm movies, and those have been fun. I also do Walking Dead Wednesday, where we cover Walking Dead podcast, where we cover Walking Dead, the TV show and the comics. I do Listen to the Prophets, which is a Deep Space Nine podcast uh, with uh, Paul Sabataro and Andrew Leyland. And I also do a show called uh, Parallel Lines, which uh, covers the Tangent Universe podcast, which is uh, a series of uh, alternate universe alternate universe comics that the DC released in the uh, late 90s dealing with uh, characters who had names that were very familiar, like Superman and Batman, but had completely different origins and everything. And that's going to be kind of interesting because probably in a couple of months from the airing of the show, DC is going to be doing their Convergence uh, story. And a lot of the characters from the Tandit universe are going to be coming back in the Convergence story. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I do. Oh, and obviously, Two True Freaks. I don't. It's it's coffee and... uh, Coffee and cigarettes for me all the way. I have enough trouble putting out one show a month. <laughs> Everything you just said. That <laughs> tangent show sound sounds fun. If you ever need a guest for that or something, let me know. Bill, I, I've read those. Bill uh, loves Superman as uh, much as I. He, that Bill's <laughs> love for Superman is my like, like really huge hatred for Superman. I will. I will keep you in mind. Uh, we basically. We kind of record, you know, every couple of weeks, and uh, definitely mm-hmm. go check it out. It's called Parallel Lines. We've uh, covered so far the first 
uh, series of the comic book, and we're working our way through the uh, second wave of them. We've done, as of now, we've done Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and the second Nightwing book. So if you enjoy those books, check it out. And yeah, we'd love to, you know, we're also going to be covering Superman's reign. So yeah, we, oh, yeah nice. I'll, get, I'll get in touch with you and we'll see what we can do. Let's do some podcasting. Awesome. Hope, uh, obviously you need to uh, tell people where they can find you. Well, I, uh, back in September, launched my website, and I'm finally actually getting in a good like groove writing on it. I have several blogs up now, and it's geekygirlexperience.com. Um, also, at the end of this month, which would be last month by the time this airs, um, I'm going to be a contributing writer to What the Fangirl, who is started by my friends Bree and Alex from Other Side of the Mirror podcast. Um, and it's I'm really looking forward to that. I'm actually in the process of filling out my profile right now. It's in my other tabby tab. Um, and that's going to be uh, looking at old shows, new shows, shows that we're watching for the very first time um, from girl it, from a girl's perspective and stuff like that. Um, I know I'm re-watching Avatar The Last Airbender for one of my first things because god freaking amazing Korra <laughs> Korra was freaking amazing but you need to have Avatar to get to Korra um, so I'm in the process of doing that and you can also find me on Twitter at Hope Molinax oh and my show I have a show I have a podcast I'm a podcaster ah. <laughs> go to twotruefreaks.com and go to Hope of All Trades that's my baby um, yeah I talk about whatever I feel because I'm a jack of all trades nerd. Get it? That's that's the name. Hope of all trades. Jack of all trades. Oh, I I get it now. I know. I'm so clever, guys. <laughs> I think I need to eat your food. I just want to really silence. <laughs> Drunkate silence always works. And on a on occasion when Bill feels like it, sometimes I pop up on his shows. On occasion. On occasion. Never okay. again. How many times have, the, have I been on greetings from Storybrooke? Uh, I lost count. Five? Five? five I think. Five. Four, five, six, somewhere in there, I think. I'm a minor character on his podcast. <laughs> well, if you, if, you count voice, if, if you count voicemails and letters, you've appeared on almost every episode. So. Oh, no. No, I'm, I'm a minor character in Bill's story. You you are you are at least uh, the the uh, antagonist from uh, from season three of my story, and and then you kind of fall into a background character after that. Yay! <laughs> All right, well, guys, thank you so much for coming on Who True Freaks. I was, this was super fun. We'll have to do it again some other time. Especially Bill. Welcome to the Two True Freaks family. Yeah. Now, don't don't sign the contract. Trust me, you, no. you won't. You won't like the uh, the deliveries you get. No worries. I don't know how to write my own name, so we're good. Well, that, awesome. That's that's a bonus. Okay, well, that that's that sounds like it. Thanks everyone for coming, and thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time on another episode of Who True Freaks. Bye everyone. Who True Freaks? That was me like falling in the face. Do, 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 do,
visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 22, <laughs> 20, yeah, 22, why not, of Who True Freaks, the okay, Doctor Who podcast. 22. It might be 22.3. Okay, 22.3 of Doctor Who, of the Doctor Who podcast, Who True Freaks, the one-stop shopping network thing for Doctor Who on the Two True Freaks internet radio network. Obviously, I didn't script this out this time. Hi, everyone. We're back with another Two True Freaks show, and this time out, we're taking another look at a Doctor Who podcast, or a Doctor Who podcast, a Doctor <laughs> Who show. God, I need to script these out. I wasn't expecting I'd have to talk. Uh, Do you want to go in that one again and read Sure, it? why not? <laughs> we'll put that at the end for bloopers. Because that was shit. Oh, God. <clears throat> you want me to do it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, because God knows I already had a chance to mess it up, so let's see, <laughs> improve on it.